The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the year ahead for your money, and whether 2023 will provide new hope for investors or another round of pain. We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. We begin our second annual Stock Summit today as well. Joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, and Josh Brown. Let's check the markets. I'll take you to the wall, show you what we're doing just past 12 noon in the east. Not a great picture. Down 200 on the Dow to get this going today. The S&P 500 is down about a little more than three quarters of one percent. As you see, that's almost 34. Uh, the Nasdaq's off one and a quarter percent, 379. The yield on the 10-year note. The big problem, though, today, at least one of them worth noting is Apple. Josh Brown. So we go uh, below two trillion for the first time since March of 21. It's down 15 percent over the past month. It's down again today substantially by another 4%, down 31.5% from its highs. We should stop there. I could go on and probably find another negative stat somewhere, but the point is clear. The stock seems broken. So technically it is broken, and we talked about the 140 level uh, starting back from last summer as being an important level. The June low was 130. It violated did a little bit of a recovery, not as big of a recovery as a lot of other Dow stocks, and then rolled right back over when it hit that downtrend level. So this is a stock in a downtrend. It's a mega cap. It's one of the most important names in the market. Um, it's not particularly cheap yet, which means it certainly could fall further. There's no reason why it wouldn't. And what's most interesting about the Apple situation, it perfectly illustrates the types of stocks that you want to focus on right now uh, because its largest shareholder, Berkshire Hathaway, that share price is completely unfazed by this, this huge drawdown, relatively speaking huge in Apple terms, drawdown in the stock. Berkshire has done nothing but buy Apple stock. They bought it all last year. They bought it all this year. Huge drawdown in Apple. Berkshire is unfazed. Why? Because there's buying pressure for the types of stocks that Berkshire represents, and there isn't for the type of stock that Apple represents. And I don't know what changes that. Perhaps it's the Fed signaling that they're finished. Perhaps it's the first rate cut later this year when we find ourselves in recession. But for the time being, that is the regime that's in force. Live with it. Learn to learn to accept it and, and try not to fight too hard want, against what's already obvious to everyone that knows how to read a tape. I want you to expand on something you said, which uh, caught my attention most of all, and that's it's not cheap yet. By what sort of metric would you would you say that? And then at what point do you suggest it is? 
Well, look, Apple is is pursuing one of the largest buybacks in American history. That will continue. They have never laid out any parameters for when they will buy, when they won't buy. They don't tell you it's a multiple of book value. They don't tell you it's it's anything uh, in in stone. But they will continue to buy. And so I think one of the largest buyers of the stock is still in place. Um, unfortunately, the other two drivers of buying that stock, we don't know if Berkshire Hathaway will continue to accumulate, and we don't know what flows will be to the S&P 500 and the Qs. And those two indices were responsible, in addition to Apple's own buybacks and Berkshire, for a lot of the buying pressure that kept the stock from breaking down for most of last year. We just don't know what, what the demand will be. Um, And so until we have some clarity there, what's going to turn around the share price of Apple? The company's doing fine. What's going to turn around the share price? That's what we're here to discuss. And I have to tell you, I can't think of what the catalyst might be. Hmm. It is not as though Apple's going to come out and, and, and try to advance the expectations on the street. They shouldn't. They should be conservative right now, like every other large cap publicly traded company. And they probably will be. And we're not getting results for Q4 for a while. So we're in this vacuum of information. I don't know who the incremental buyer is that comes in. And so until then, even if you're a diehard Apple shareholder, and I am and have been for more than a decade, accept the fact that it's not always going to be at new highs. Sometimes the stock's at new lows. Steph, pick it up from there. Yeah, I mean, you had asked about what multiple do you pay for this thing? It's growing total revenues and earnings um, um, low double digits. So you're paying 21 times forward estimates for low double digits revenues and earnings. It has outperformed the rest of FANG. Um, nicely, by the way, especially especially relative to Alphabet and especially relative to Meta. Um, so it's held up. And so you see kind of the it's, it's held up now. It's kind of falling back, um, which is, is not too surprising because it is so overowned, Scott. Eighty percent of the sell side have buys on this thing. It was a stay at home beneficiary for a couple of years. You now have tough comparisons. Right. So stay at home. What do I mean? iPads, Macs. Apps all benefited from stay at home. So these tough comparisons are going to be a challenge for the company. I totally agree. This company has, you know, world-class buyback program underway, 90 billion. And you've got Berkshire for sure. I own Berkshire and full disclosure, it's my Apple play. Um, But I don't have any reason to own this just yet. Talk to me when it gets to about 15 or 16 times earnings. Well, so we still need some compression for the multiple, Joe. Is is that how you, you see it as well? Well, it's clearly one of the mega cap names that's part of this rolling valuation recession, and it's gone on since the fourth quarter of 2020, and now it's affecting names like Apple, names like Tesla. Tesla's having a terrible year in one day today. Uh, But for Apple, it is a stock that has lost its positive momentum. It did so in the first week of November. Quite candidly, the momentum has turned negative. If you're strictly paying attention to technical indicators, you could clearly see that. If you're sitting there and you are a non-discretionary rules-based fund, you're actually playing Apple from the short side. Now, Josh brings up a good point. They are a significant buyer of their own stock, but they're in a blackout window right now. They're not going to be buying their stock and stemming the decline right now. I would think on the other side of earnings, which would be the first two weeks of February, you could expect that they would make a return to buying back their stock, and maybe that stabilizes a lot of the selling intensity. That's so we present. have kind of no man's land for a while other than sitting and this watching is, it. You know, people try, people try to make this more complex than it is. We don't know what the multiple will be when Apple stops going down. 
We could say what we think is like fair value, but that's a term from a textbook. That actually doesn't mean anything in real life. What will mean something is when the selling stops and how will we know? Well, the first thing you need is a little bit of a consolidation where it stops making new lows. It's been making 52-week lows now for a while. The second thing you need to see is the intensity of, of, of the down days uh, dissipate. You need to see RSI stabilize. You need to see a succession then of higher lows. So maybe the next time it has a sell-off, it doesn't break the June low again. We're so far away from that. So it doesn't mean like Apple's going to uh, free fall to nothing. But if you're a buyer and you're someone that's like, oh, I've been waiting for Apple. OK, that's fine. Don't expect immediate gratification. There is nothing happening technically that tells us that we're done here. A stock below the June lows in the Dow is in very bad shape from an accumulation distribution standpoint. It's not um, it's not a bottom. I'm sorry. I wish it were. It's just obviously not. It remains a, a weight of some sort of, on the market, as does Joe you know, these other mega caps, which are right in the same basket of pain. Microsoft, its worst year since 08, right, mm-hmm. coming off that, along with Alphabet and Amazon. It leads me to our stock summit, mm-hmm. our second annual stock summit, in which you're going to lead things off today. Why? Because Microsoft is one of your picks. Mm-hmm. We'll get to the others in a minute, but tell me why you chose that as part of the three. You could only pick three, and you included that in your basket. Why? Well, I, I think it's clear, and, and listening to my comments over the last several weeks, you know, know that I'm taking a very conservative, uh, risk-mitigated focus on what I want to own in 2023. And collectively, I think the risk is stepping completely away from all the mega caps. You've got this overwhelming pessimism. You cannot tell me that if there is ultimately interest rate stabilization, monetary policy begins to slow the speed in which they're aggressively raising rates, that mega caps don't see a recovery within that. So I want a degree of exposure. Microsoft is without question the most diversified of the mega caps. It has the capital allocation strategy. It has the revenue growth. It has the exposure to the cloud. So this gives me a touch on mega cap equities in the way in which I feel is the most diversified and conservative. What I, what I think of when you, when you talk about that and you think about where rates are going to go and, and what the Fed may do that would help out a stock like this, if not the other mega caps as well, is sacrificing, in essence, six months of performance, potentially, from a name like this to try and capture the back half of the year, which could provide a boost. The question is, is that the best strategy for an individual stock pick in the kind of environment that we currently have? I think for the viewers who are listening to my comments, they would say, "Okay, well, Joe, if you expect interest rate stabilization, you would expect the Federal Reserve at some point to step back. You would expect the conditions to improve. You know, why not buy a Twilio? Why not step out and assume a little bit more of a high beta exposure? Uh, 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 who would say that? Well, uh, because uh, clearly those stocks are going to experience a significant recovery rally in that environment. If the, cl- if the storm clouds clear, OK, those, those hyper growth stocks are going to get a temporary interim rally. That's for sure. But I, think, I just don't want to assume that risk. I think my point is that mega cap uh, under the current sort of path and the trajectory of the Fed and rates that these kinds of stocks could have trouble for the next handful of months before there's more clarity on what the next move from the Fed actually you could is. Divide, you could divide up everyone on Wall Street right now in one of two camps. Do we break the October lows or do we not? I think we break the October lows. 
Okay, a lot of the strategists, even the bulls, read like I just read the 17 strategists uh, that that everyone polls. Even the bullish strategists are saying like first half sell off. Right. Like like the guy from Deutsche Bank is the street high target for the S&Ps at 4,500. He's talking about breaking the October lows first. It's really hard. Right. So like I think I think if you're in that camp and it ends up not happening, you'll be fine. All right. I thought it would happen. It didn't happen. But it's it's so much more rational to be in that camp, given all of the headwinds, all of the negativity, even if you want to be constructive. And I, oh, I'm a financial advisor. I'm not like I'm not Chanos. I want to be constructive. I'm not making money on the downside. But even if you think that way, it's almost like better to think that way. And then you have the second half of the year if you missed out on the bottom or whatever to do whatever you need to do to catch up. This is January. What is January 3rd? I right? think so. Ish. Yeah. OK. So, like, that's my, listen, my base case, it is, the I'm, biggest bull I'm, on the I'm street's base now, case. I'm double checking now, checking you. Right. It is the third. It is the yeah. third. So, I got one thing right so far this year. <laughs> Steph, uh, how about this Microsoft pick from Joe? Um, I don't want to own high multiple stocks at this point in time. I think rates stay higher for longer. Even if they stop the Fed in terms of raising rates, they're going to keep rates higher. Inflation is still too high. It may come down. Um, And it's encouraging that there are some data points that the inflation is coming down, but it's going to stay elevated for a long period of time. Higher interest rates do not bode well for high multiple stocks. And all of these stocks, other than Meta, are expensive. Apple, I mentioned 21 times. Uh, Google's at Alphabet is at 17 times. That's close. It's getting close. I've, I've been kind of warming up to it. I haven't pulled the trigger Where's yet. Where's Microsoft? Microsoft at 25 times. 25. 25 times. Amazon's at 65. So, again, these are not bad companies. I just don't want to pay this kind of valuation in the macro environment in which we're at. I do want to pay for 11 times for Meta, right? I do. Um, and, and I think that there are some things that can go right for Meta in terms of cost cuts. Reels actually is do, seeing some momentum, believe it or not. Last quarter, they had a $3 billion revenue run rate for Reels. And I, I think um, we've seen a peak in TikTok, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Okay. So I, I, I just think that, that you've got to be very, very careful in this macro environment on what you're paying for and what kind of growth you're actually getting as well. Okay, so, all right, Joe, we get that one out of the way and we have a good, you know, vigorous debate in the committee, which I, which I like. I think, that, I think that's the point. Uh, Prologis and Texan, Texas Instruments, why those two? Again, a conservative approach to semiconductors. I think the entirety of the industry, okay, uh, was first into this economic contraction, first into this valuation contraction, I think now you could be tactical within the industry and try and find opportunities. You want, again, you want lower beta exposure. You want companies that have the capital allocation strategy. You want companies that respect margins. That's exactly what Texas Instruments does. I don't want to step out and assume higher beta risk for semis. And then Prologis. Mm -hmm. Prologis, it's uh, it's a play in real estate which, uh, you know, as a sector, I think you've got an opportunity here in 2023 for there to be a significant mean reversion in particular in a recessionary environment. Generally, REITs outperform the private real estate market in the recession and in the subsequent four months. PLD, Prologis, they will respect the dividend, which right now is about 275 they just did an acquisition with Duke Realty that closes recently. That gets them into logistics. Just look at the revenue growth 
for GXO logistics and how accretive that's been. I think that's going to bleed to the bottom line for Prologis over the next several uh, over the next several years. Your so, sector is real estate. Same methodology yeah, I, behind that pick. Look, I, I mean, I wish real estate was was still part of the financial sector because it would be much easier to just say, okay, I want to own financials. Uh, real estate's one A. Financials really would be one B if I'm looking at a sector-specific investment for 2023. But you've had a massive valuation reset for a lot of these REITs. They're now at a 10% discount relative to where they were pre-COVID. And again, in an environment where we could begin to see the interest rate stability, you've got a recessionary environment with still a whiff of inflation. I think publicly traded real estate is going to be a good place to be in 23. What do you think about REITs, which I think you you like still? I do. I bought I bought the VNQ, which is Vanguard's REIT index, toward the end of last year. Um, it, from an investing standpoint, valuations had really been wiped out last year, and uh, dividends are going to be fine. You know, the one thing about real estate in an inflationary period of time, this is whether it's publicly traded or not, uh, ostensibly the highest quality companies are inflation hedges in and of themselves because as leases run out, they can raise rents to account for the reality of the environment that we're in. So they have worked really well historically uh, as, as, as hedges, but I also think they've been able to strengthen their balance sheet in a way that they almost never have going into a prior recession. Just like the financial companies, you have never seen the majority of large cap REITs in, in the shape that they're in um, so if we have a tough environment, a tough year, these are not companies that are going to have to do fire sales of assets or anything like that. So I think the group holds up. I think the dividend keeps you interested this year. Um, and there could be upside uh, depending on the overall economy. I think one other point on that, the upside comes in the form of M&A. And in every recessionary environment, there's always significant M&A activity. Just think about private equity, private markets looking at the valuation discount that exists now for these publicly traded REITs, there's an M&A opportunity. Okay, so the other single biggest stock question mark, I think, for at least right now, and maybe for this coming year, uh, is Tesla. It is a new low today, a new 52-week low. Speaking of stocks that have been in a downtrend, hitting new 52-week lows seemingly every day, if not every other. There it is, down near 14% today, getting back towards $100 a share. So I want to discuss this in this way. Joe has it in the in the Joe T, as most of you, I think, at this point know, because we discussed it on multiple occasions last week. And therefore, you're limited to what you can really say right now until you go for the rebalance at the end of this month when you'll be more public with the kinds of moves that you made. So taking all that into context, I'm curious, Josh, of your thought on what's been going on here, if you view it much of the same way you do Apple. I haven't gotten your perspective or point of view on Tesla since this whole thing really accelerated within the last, say, two weeks. So full disclosure, I never made any money in Tesla on the way up. I never owned it. So I was wrong on the stock for 10 years. Um, but the thing, that the thing that kept me away was my inability to like, make the leap from it's a car company to it's a technology company. And had I been able to make that leap, I would have made a lot of money in this stock. And a lot of people did. And I just was not one of those people 
Um, but that's what kept me out. I don't his personal antics or what I think he's hilarious. So th- that's not the reason why I like don't like Tesla or whatever. I just couldn't make the leap because then I look at Ford. I look at GM. You back out the cash. These stocks were trading at like five times earnings. So and then look at the Japanese automakers. So I just was never there. Now it looks like um, the puck is headed toward where I've already been, which is that Oh, my God, it turns out they are susceptible to, like, cyclical demand trends within the auto industry. It just took a while for them to get big enough where that would actually matter. That's number one. Number two, I know the bears have been wrong talking about competition on Tesla all these years. I understand that. But now they're right, because when you look at the, um, the EV offerings from every major auto manufacturer and some of the upstarts, there are just a, there's a lot of products coming to market, and it just makes it harder for Tesla to stand out. Even if you believe, which I do, that they have a lead technologically. Um, the third thing is what, what's going on with his brand. That's, that argument doesn't really move me that all of a sudden every liberal who wanted an electric car is going to hate him because he RTs uh, DJT. That, like, that, doesn't, that doesn't move me, but I do think that sentiment weighs on the stock right now. I don't know for how much longer. Well, I mean, the stock is down significantly since the, the Twitter deal. Let me ask deal. you a question. What yeah. does Tesla stock do the day he announces a new CEO? What do you think it does? I think it goes up like 15%. It probably goes up. The question, you want to be does, short of that question, day? Well, the question is, does it stay there? Because yeah, last week it had a nice rebound, stays anywhere. Uh, Steph, I, I had one money manager tell me yeah. last night uh, that Tesla, quote, remains the biggest opportunity to extract further reduction in excess market cap in public markets, i.e., this stock needs to come down even further. The bubble needs to pop even more than it already has. It's heavily owned. It has a retail component to it. What do you make of that comment? Well, it's possible, but the stock's already down 80% from its highs, so a lot of bad news is priced in. It's interesting that it now trades at 28 times earnings. That's getting more reasonable. I'm not touching it at 28 times earnings, but this thing used to trade at 100 times earnings. So yeah, 28 f- times is cert- forward, certainly it's interesting. It's, tw- it's 21 um, times. I mean, wh- why is 21? Why well, is 21 depend- more more reasonable? You use your word, more reasonable uh, now. If, if you yeah. say why why should they even get that sort of premium now? Well, I'm saying shingles. I wouldn't touch it. I don't know what numbers you're. I don't know what numbers you're using, but I have 28 times estimates on forward. If it's 21 times, fine. They just put up 40 percent growth in, de- in in deliveries for 2022. This company is not shrinking massively. My problem is you're, you are seeing more competition to Josh's point. You are seeing price cuts. You do have a book to bill that is under one. It's at 0.65 times. So they're definitely feeling the pressures. And so at 21 times, it's not that compelling. But I'm going to tell you that down 80 percent from its highs, there's certainly more value here, given the growth that they're putting up. So I'm watching it. I've never owned it. I've missed it all the way up, missed it on the way down. But it's certainly something to contemplate as it continues to just spiral downward. So, Joe, 40% growth is obviously great growth, but not when you're expecting 50% growth mm-hmm. in deliveries. And the stock is more or less valued on the growth of delivery proposition. This is the third consecutive quarter that they've missed the estimate. You have to call them to question the ability for them to reach that 50% growth target in the future. There's two investing lessons here for the viewers. First of all, 
in 2023, you want to make sure you're focusing on companies that retain pricing power. This is a company that is clearly losing pricing power. The second, and it relates to the ownership of Tesla and Joe T. I think there's been a paradigm shift in 2022. I think Josh understands this well. And I know Mike Santoli has done a great job talking with you about it. And that's moving towards equal weighted strategies, not having exposure to market cap weighted strategies. Yes, Tesla is in Joe T. I'll leave it for the viewers to do the performance study on what that decline has done to affect the strategy. But I think we're in a moment where you have to go back to looking at equal weighted strategies and elevating them to the top of your list for investing. Joe, I mean, uh, Josh, give me 20, 30 seconds last before I take a quick break, which I have to do. Well, when this stock was at a a trillion dollar market cap almost, and uh, Elon Musk was the wealthiest man in the world, the premise was that this was going to not only be a company that could sell cars as fast as they could make them um, and had actually a supply problem relative to the demand, um, but there was talk about robots and drilling underground and flying through the sky. And unfortunately, that stuff stopped working because rates have gone up and people have lost their appetite for unbridled innovation. We might come back to an environment like that six months from now, a year from now. It's really hard to imagine us going back to that environment like next month. So you're not really going to get multiple expansion. And we already understand what the fundamental challenges are. So it's going to be a tough stock. Doesn't mean it's not a buy. Just like don't expect to be happy tomorrow if you buy it today. All right. Stay with us. Our stock summit continues next. Josh Brown, Stephanie Link give their top picks and sectors for the year ahead. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. All right, we're back with more of our annual Stock Summit now. Top ideas from our investment committee. Stephanie Link, you are up next with a name that has been familiar with you for a while. Mm. General Electric. Mm. Talk to me first about that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know you're not going to be surprised. I've liked this for a long time. I think this is the year, though, Scott. This is finally the year where they're splitting up. Um, they're, they're splitting their healthcare business. In fact, they're doing that tomorrow. Uh, and they're going to split up their power gen business next year. So the company and the story actually gets more simple. And what you're left with is on GE, um, the, the, the gem, which is aviation. 
right? And that's why I want to own it, because I do believe very strongly in aviation uh, and the demand. You know I like Boeing. This is a direct play on Boeing. They supply uh, engines to Boeing and to Airbus as well. Um, they saw double-digit growth in aviation last quarter in a tough environment, and they saw margin expansion as well. So I like the spin. By the way, I might also want to own the healthcare piece, too, because that's a gem, and that's been hit hard from the China supply issues. But we can talk about that another day. So I like the aviation piece, the free cash flow. Their guidance is uh, $5 billion this year, a little under $5 billion this year. They're going to grow to $7 billion uh, by 2024. And mm-hmm. I think the stock trades on free cash flow. Okay. Uh, Broadcom and Starbucks round out your list. So Broadcom, I just think, is very well positioned. Um, and you know, um, I've been pretty negative on semis, but they're, they're well positioned because they've got a diversified end market in AI, data center, enterprise, and even Apple, right? And this is one of the very few companies that beat and raised last quarter. Free cash flow, $4 billion. They raised the dividend. They, they're buying back stock. Very cheap stock with a 3.2 yield. Starbucks, you know we've talked about this. This is kind of a brand reinvention story. You've got Schultz there. You've got a new CEO who has amazing reputation um, when he was at Reckitt. You've got growth at scale. They're taking market share. And oh, by the way, input costs are coming down. Morgan Stanley did a great piece today on input costs coming down. Input costs are still up 7%, according to the Morgan Stanley analysts, year over year. But they're down from 11% last quarter. And in December, input costs fell every single week in December. So that bodes very well for something like a Starbucks. You know, I'm looking at a Bank of America call today. They reiterated a buy. They raised the price target. They're with you, 125 from 109. Yeah. Um, and your sector today, your pick is financials. Yeah, I do. I mean, look, I, I like a lot of the names in my portfolio, but I do think that financials will benefit for higher rates for longer. The capital positions are so incredibly strong. The dividends are actually very competitive. Uh, and so the play, the name I would play in financials for this year, because I think capital markets have actually troughed, is Morgan Stanley. All right. Uh, Josh Brown, you are on the hot seat now. Uh, number one pick for you on my list is Chubb. Wait, I thought we were going to make fun of Stephanie's stuff first. Go ahead. You have something? No, I don't. You're Ste- making fun. Steph, I like, Star- I like Starbucks, but what's kept me out of the, the, the stock right now. Um, you used to own it, didn't you? Yeah, I've, yeah. I've been in and out of it. I, I, think, I think she's, she's going to make money here. I'm not sure she'll make money in the first half of this year. A 30 multiple on Probably not. 12, maybe 12% earnings per share growth. Like, is this stock going to uh, be, be popular enough to capture the flows necessary uh, for the price to go up. Like, I, I think the fundamentals are solid, Ch- but is this what's in style right now? Yeah. Ch- Ch- Josh, if China reopens, that 30 multiple more like looks like a 23, 24 multiple, so a little bit more reasonable. But I get you. It's expensive. Yeah. I just really like the management change and the shakeup there. Well, you know I'm rooting for you. Starbucks has one of the highest relative Thanks. outperformances in the S&P. The stock bottomed yeah. in May. This is a great pick by Stephanie. It was 68 in May. Yeah. It's, it has strong momentum. It has all the technical bullish momentum behind it. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, Steph. All right. Let's go, my man. Chubb, nice. number one. Fine. Why? Let me preface this by saying this is all on technicals, and so my mind can change. And I, what I want to give viewers is where I know I'm wrong, so that if, God forbid, they're actually listening to me and putting these trades on, they know where the exit, the exit is. And that might become necessary if the overall market melts down. But let's talk about Chubb. This is um, the highest quality property casualty insurer in the world. 
This is what, where rich people go when they have things that when something goes wrong, they don't want to negotiate or, or worry about whether or not they're going to get a check. They know they're getting their money back. And in exchange for that, they're paying industry high premiums. Very simple business model. Uh, Chubb technically looks outstanding. This is one of only 11 stocks in the S&P 500, currently trading within 5% of an all-time record high. It's above the rising 50-day. It's above the 200-day, obviously. Um, and this is a stock that looks like it's on the verge of breaking out. The entire property casualty group looks great. I talk to insurance brokers. They tell me what they're hearing from the carriers. Expect huge increases in 2023 on premiums. And guess what? doesn't matter what they are. People are going to pay them because what choice do you have? So that's the nature of this industry. And I think Chubb exemplifies what the opportunity here might be. Ulta Beauty number two. By the way, I would use the... Uh, I would use the rising uh, 50 day on that, which is 212. The market will tell you that uh, the breakout's not going to happen if we break below that level. Ulta Beauty. You know, you know, Scott, everybody's been looking for a way to play the popularity of TikTok. It's been right, right under our nose at the mall. 1,300 stores. This is the largest supplier um, of everything from fragrances to uh, skin care to makeup, hair care. Ulta is a beast of a stock. Look at this chart. Let's pause and, and just give this a second to, for people to let this marinate. Um, so Ulta is very simple. This is a raging bull stock and an uptrend. It's about 22 times earnings. I would argue they deserve this premium valuation. They are crushing their competitors. If you look at Estee Lauder, for example, doesn't even come close to how well this stock is doing. And this is what people do when they complete their day on TikTok. They go right to the mall and buy all of the products that they see their peers advertising mostly for free. Ulta carries all of that. I think it's recession resistant. People want to look good for the gram. They want to look good for the talk. That's not going to change regardless of what Jerome Powell does. That is what this stock is reflecting. Um, I think it's going to break out and make a new high. Most of Wall Street's targets on this name are in the 500s, and I've even seen some low 600s. I really like the way this is, is looking technically. Okay, and Next Era Energy, NEE. Next Era's got something for everyone, Scott. One thing that we learned last year, um, you got to be bad, you got to be bold, you got to be wiser. And I think you can do all of those things with this one ticker. Next Era Energy, in addition to being the largest regulated public utility, they own Florida Power and Light, also has the other half of their business, this incredible growth engine where they are building utility scale solar and wind projects for other utilities and large and, and, and large companies that contract with them. Um, so you've got that growth engine, plus you got a 2% dividend yield buyback. And the, the Inflation Reduction Act that Biden signed into law is, is hugely misunderstood. It's misnamed. It has nothing to do with inflation reduction. $400 billion for alternative energy, for clean energy. NextEra is just sitting there with their jaws open, waiting to capture a lot of that workload. Um, and so as a result, I actually think earnings estimates should be going up here as well as dividends. So let's take a look at the technicals really quickly and then I'll stop. Um, this is a stock that's been consolidating after a really big move up throughout all of 2022. It's been range bound, but refuses to back off. I think the next breakout happens at some point in the next six months. And if you're wrong, I really don't think the fall from grace is very much. I would utilize the 2022 summer lows as my stop. I'd be out of this name in the low 70s. I think from a risk reward standpoint, 
20 points up, risking maybe eight or nine points down. I really like that kind of scenario here, plus the dividend while I wait. Aerospace and defense is your self-explanatory. You look at, look, again, look at the 52-week high list. Look at the all-time high list. What do you see? Raytheon, Lockheed, companies that make like the cup holders for helicopters. Like that's what's working right now. I think we are in a horrible geopolitical moment. Could have an invasion of Taiwan, for God's sake. A lot of our worst fears, a hot war in Europe. None of this seems to want to stop. These stocks are actually bid when that bad news happens in the headlines. So these stocks look incredible technically. I want to own them all if I want to own them. ITA is the ticker on the ETF. I own it personally. Um, Unfortunately, this is your hedge for bad geopolitical headlines throughout the balance of the year. And budgets for defense spending all over the world are going higher. They're even talking about remilitarizing in Japan. Germany is spending money on arms. None of this would would make your grandparents happy. It's just the reality of 2023. Mm -hmm. These are the stocks that I think continue to work, unfortunately, in the new reality we find ourselves in. All right. Thank you for your picks. Thank you, Joe. Steph, thank you as well. It continues all week right here on Halftime. Up next, a bold call to buy one fintech name. It was one of the worst performing S&P stocks last year. See if the committee agrees with that upgrade in our call today. Plus, we are getting ready to grade your trade. You can email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. Tweet us. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade. We're back right after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report and get started. Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Leader Kevin McCarthy gearing up for a fight as the vote for Speaker of the House is set to begin. We may have a battle on the floor, but the battle is for the conference and the country, and that's fine with me. McCarthy is hoping to win the speakership on the first ballot, but pushback from a few members of the party could drag out the process. The suspect in the brutal killing of four Idaho college students is due in a Pennsylvania courtroom today ahead of his extradition to Idaho. Brian Koberger did not challenge extradition, and his public defender says Koberger believes he will be exonerated. The lawyer also said Koberger's family is, quote, obviously shocked that he is a suspect in a murder case. And the Chinese government is threatening to retaliate against countries that are imposing testing requirements on passengers coming from China. Spokesman for the foreign ministry said today that China would take, quote, countermeasures in response to what it sees as excessive restrictions. China is fighting a new nationwide outbreak after recently easing COVID curbs. 
Back over to you, Scott. Okay, Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. Now to our call of the day. It's PayPal. It's leading the S&P today following its worst year ever. Shares upgraded to a buy at Truist. The analyst there says revenue estimates are now reasonable and potential new leadership could boost PayPal to $95 a share in the next year. Tenth worst performing stock in the S&P, down 62%. Uh, Joe, Mm -hmm. actually, wait, Steph, you own this? I do not own PayPal, but it is very interesting because you've got Elliott Management in this stock, right? Uh, You've got 20 for for this year. You've got plenty of self-help that they can do in terms of cost cuts, M&A. They've got six billion in net cash and it trades at 18 times. So I guess I'm getting a little greedy and wanting it to get get a little bit cheaper if the market comes down as a whole. But absolutely, I think this company and a stock has a five dollar earnings power to it, potentially, if they can get it right, if they can execute and get the the right people in the door. But I like Elliot being involved very Steph, much. Steph, let me tell you a question. What do you think would happen? Or ask. Tell me a question or, or ask, ask me a question. Let me tell you a question. What do you think would happen <laughs> if they changed the name of the company to Venmo, which clearly has much better name brand recognition for anybody under the age of 40? And they're actually offering Venmo as payment service at like department stores now and on other e-commerce sites. So they're cannibalizing the PayPal brand already by utilizing the Venmo name everywhere that accepts PayPal, why not just go all the way, not in a meta way, but in a good way, and just say, everybody uses Venmo as a verb. The company is now called Venmo. Let me tell you that. What do you think? It's a, I mean, look, I think it would be absolutely positive for sure. Here's the question, though, you have to ask. Now, I'm not going to tell you the question, Josh, but I have to ask. If you have, <laughs> if you well, have a lot you of... I will answer. If you... <laughs> right. If, well, if you have bank, the traditional bank stocks, right, I, they have been spending so much money on fintech and they get no credit. Zell. Right. Yeah. So Bank of America, Bank of America has spent 10 billion dollars over the last decade on fintech stuff. It gets no credit and it trades at 11 times earnings. I know it's a bank. It's ugly. It's gross. Got it. But I do think there's legitimate competition. So, yeah, they changed the name. Probably the stock can do well. Again, I just want to get it a little bit cheaper if I can, but it's definitely on my radar. I'm, for sort sure. of, I'm sort of with you. I think a lot of the fintech that banks have spent money on, unfortunately, is uh, non-discretionary, meaning cybersecurity. Um, but the Bank of America app is great. Like people that bank there love it. Isn't it? Yes. The problem is the payment platform that the banks have all collaborated on, Zelle, is super mid, as the kids say. And, like, nobody zells anyone. If you zell me money, honestly, I'll zell it back. And I'll say, send it to me with Venmo <laughs> like a gentleman, like you actually respect it. my time. So, th- look, I think the opportunity here is to rebrand. I'm not saying that alone will help the stock. I think it'll help the perception of PayPal being a boring last decade, you know, non-growth story into one of the preeminent publicly traded fintech companies now that so many of them have stumbled and become microcaps, arguably. All right. All right. Up next, we're going to grade your trade. You can keep sending them in to find us on Twitter or email us. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. We're right back. All right. It's time for Grade My Trade. All right, Steph. You're up first, okay? From Mark, Dollar General. Mm-hmm. Bought Dollar General on December 1st. I think it's a good play in this environment at a reasonable discount. I'm long-term investing here. By the way, Guggenheim today named it one of its best new ideas. Target goes to 275. What do you think about this? Buying it in uh, the very beginning of December. 
I like it very much. It's a defensive name. 80% of their revenues are consumables. That's very defensive. It's almost staples-like. There's a value proposition for the low end, and there's a trade down from the high end. I like it very much. I give it an A. Okay. Joe, to you from Luann, uh, ExxonMobil. I bought it at 109. You own it in the Joe T? What do you do? What do you like? Do you like the trade? I like the trade. Uh, the first question I'd have for Luann is where are you wrong? Just quickly glancing. Looking at the chart, I say below 95. That's where you have to acknowledge you're wrong and put a stop in. Well, buying it at what? Okay. Bought it at 109. Stop you? at 95. Okay. Like the trade. Okay. All right. Thank you. Keep the trades coming in. You can send an email, askhalftime at cnbc.com. Tweet us, as I said. Use the hashtag GradeMyTrade. Up next, it's Santoli with his midday word. We're back right after this. Dow's down 282. Now we're back. We're at session lows, too, as we welcome in senior markets commentator Mike Santoli from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. Happy New Year. Good to see you. Much of the same story, right? Same problems, too. Apple, Tesla, you know, pick them. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we, we spoke in December, Scott, about how the turn of the year doesn't typically mean a new character to the market all of a sudden emerges. That's definitely the case today, right? Uh, the biggest stocks are creating all the pressure. Uh, S&P 500 low so far, 3,800 plus or minus a little. That's the same in the last 10 trading days. Uh, value killing growth, equal weight doing okay. By the way, st- same number of stocks up and down on the New York Stock Exchange. So it really is the heavyweights. Uh, as January unfolds, it, it is going to be interesting to gauge. We have seen some weak January, Februarys uh, in the last, uh, basically this century. It's been negative more than positive, especially after a down year. Without giving a prediction, it would not be surprising to see us maybe test the fourth quarter lows. It's like 3,700 on the S&P. I'm imagining in two weeks, the mood at Davos is going to be a bear fest. People are going to be miserable. That could create a little bit of a crescendo to some of the negativity, get the market oversold, and then we see what it has. Interesting. Um, yeah, and that's a, that's a well-thought-out premise. I could see that exactly uh, the same way. All right, Mike, I'll see you in a few hours for your last word. That's yep. Mike Santoli. We'll do final trades here next. I'll see you in OT three hours from now. we got Adam Parker. We're going to talk strategy for this year ahead with Liz Young as well, Malcolm Etheridge. Look forward to everybody joining me, 4 o'clock Eastern time, down from the New York Stock Exchange. We'll get to final trades in just a moment. I do have a couple other calls and individual names I want to kick around with the group. Number one, Estee Lauder. Stephanie Link, Piper Sandler says it's their best new idea. Target goes to $290, and you own it. I do own it, and I do think it looks expensive at 47 times forward. But if you think China is also troughing, which I do, um, that the stock is not nearly as expensive. Very strong brands. Love the Tom Ford deal. 30% of their total revenues is in China and 25% travel. So you got to get those two pieces right. I think 2023 sets up well for those to recover. Yeah, they like the Tom Ford deal, too. Uh, Joey, Baird, Yum, and Chipotle. Are there top 2023 picks? You, of course, own Chipotle. I do. Yum's interesting as well. Mm-hmm. You're seeing some momentum gather there positively, both fundamentally and technically. All right. What's your final trade, Joe? Final trade. I love Steph's sector pick on financial, so I'm going to go with Goldman Sachs. Ah, okay. Uh, interesting. Stephanie Link, why don't you give us your final? Uh, Johnson & Johnson. Uh, this is another company that is spinning off the, cons- uh, the consumer piece, but not until November of, of this year. So we have a little time to wait. State-of-the-art pharma Great med tech business, great balance sheet. Okay, thank you for that. Happy New Year to you. JB, um, Josh Brown. Yeah, so uh, Chubb, 
And uh, t- why are you laughing? Well, we got 10 seconds left. Let's CD go. going up. Let's go. Well, I mean, that was like well, that was one second. Too. I saw your face. You're just a funny guy. <laughs> All right. And tomorrow's January 4th. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Get your calendar straight. I'll see you in OT. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 